We'd like to read our scripture lessons today. Let me take those glasses off and put these glasses on. Our scripture Old Test from the Old Testament, Old Testament is Psalm 97. Now in your bulletin it says Psalm 98, but that was my fault. No one else's. I changed horses in the middle of the stream. I wasn't a good new dealer, you know. Uh, but Psalm 97 will be our, our Old Testament text today. Uh, glorious Psalm. Listen here to God's word. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad, and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of your judgments, O Lord. For you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Amen. Then our gospel lesson is found in Matthew chapter 22, the first 14 verses. We'll spend a good part of the sermon today examining where this actually is and what it says in uh, context here. But it's a parable. And it's a parable that Jesus speaks during Passion Week. So the triumphal entries, triumphal entries already occurred. He's uh, looking forward to, he knows what lies ahead with the uh, Last Supper and then with the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross. And uh, what happens, lies in store for the Jewish people, the Jewish nation as, as well. Uh, so listen here to God's word. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. And then our primary text today is from Revelation chapter 19, the first 10 verses. <clears throat> we'll see as we preach through this that <clears throat> it's a pivotal uh, place in the book of Revelation uh, today that we, we read, and it's going to be important. But it's also astounding in, in what happens here, what we, what we read. So uh, listen here to God's Word. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and righteous, for He has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice, be glad, and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, write, that is, write it down, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, we are gathered in Jesus' name to worship to give honor and praise to you. We're also gathered that we might receive feeding from you. Our hearts have been fed as we sing your praise. What a great thing to be able to do. But Lord, we ask that you'd also feed us from your word by the preaching of your word. So come now, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, do your gracious and good work here in our midst. We ask through Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Lord of all. Amen. In the first four verses of Revelation 19, we hear an extraordinary reality. We hear exuberance, overflowing, joyful praise to God because of, because of what? Because of His great judgments. Have you ever praised God for the reality of hell? I suspect not. Not many do. Most people feel today, feel embarrassment about the idea of hell. There are some people 
who have rejected God because of the teaching about hell that we find in the Bible and that is on the lips of Jesus. But righteous rejoicing will always have that element, that dimension in the rejoicing, giving thanks to God for the reality of hell. Revelation chapter 19 is going to end up with a look at the the lake of fire and brimstone. Now that's for next week, but but for this week it begins this way, and we need to, to see that and understand that. But let's do this week's texts instead, not instead of, but but because they're our texts, and we'll see why these first four verses are not only extraordinary, but extraordinarily on target. So what is the foundation of God's throne? By God's throne, we mean His sovereignty by which He rules over all. What's it founded on? What's it based on? Uh, how? <laughs> well, Psalm 97 here is very clear. It says, the foundation of His throne is righteousness and justice. So what is righteousness? How ought we to understand that term? I would suggest this. First, that it's all that is true, good, and beautiful. That's righteousness. Everything that's true, everything that's good, everything that's beautiful, that's righteousness. We need to understand that. That's, that's part of what God's throne is founded on. But that needs to be amplified by something else, and that's the second part. All that is free, completely free, from any guilt or sin. There's no darkness at all, no overshadowing of anything. It's absolutely pure, good, perfect righteousness that's there. Well then, if righteousness is foundation, how about foundational? How about justice? Justice also is foundational. How ought we to understand justice? Well, here's the first element I would suggest, and I think we all agree. It's administering what is just by an impartial judge. So, you have an impartial judge, says what just is, and administers that as it needs to be. Now, the problem here, of course, is, well, what is just, right? What is just? Well, here's what we'll say. Just is equal to or defined as conformity to what is morally upright and good. That's what is just, what's morally upright and good. Well, that just raises another problem, right? (laughs) How do we know what's morally upright and what's good? We just push the question back. And Psalm 97 is very helpful in clarifying that, I think. Uh, what Psalm 97 says, basically, is that God is the great lexicographer and the great judge. The great lexicographer in that He's the one who defines what things mean and what things are. He writes the dictionary. That's the, that's the you want to know what something is? See what God says. And then He judges based on those right and true and good definitions that He's given. Uh, all of our conceptions, and, and we have the tendency to do this, we want to define things our own way. We don't be our own lexicographers. I'll do it. Frank Sinatra, right? 
I'll have it my way, I'm going to do it my way, right? We're all going to do it that. That's the way we all are. Well, we're not to be that way. And Psalm 97 talks about that. When it says that uh, the lightnings lit up the world, <clears throat> the earth saw and trembled, the, the mountains melted like wax, what does all that mean? Th- that's simply a picture, a poetical uh, impression that when we stand in the presence of God, when His lightnings come and light up the whole world, all of a sudden the things that we thought were so true, we realize they're not so true. All the things we thought were so strong and so mighty and so, so right turn out not to be right in light of who He is and what He's just said. Now it talks in Psalm 97, says, let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Well, as I was preparing this sermon, I consulted much with my confirmation class. And uh, they wanted me to ask you a question. We want to see what the answer you have. We'll see if you know this, Goosey. Here's the question they want, want me to ask you. What is idolatry? Right? What is idolatry? Do you know? Does it have a little statue here and you bow down to it? Could be. Here's, here's the answer they told me to tell you from them, all right? So this is just from our confirmation class. It says this. The answer to what is idolatry, it is to imagine, it's just in your own little pea brain, or to possess, it could be a little idol here or something else, something in which to put one's trust in place of or alongside of the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. That's idolatry. Thank you, confirmation class. That's very helpful. We're glad you told us that. We're, we're going to try and remember that, right? Yes, we are. We have a number of confirmation, former confirmation class members here today, and, and they would all confirm that. They'd say, yes, we agree with that. Uh, so, that's where I said that, that Psalm 97 defines God as the great lexicographer, the great judge overall. Now, it talks about judgments in Psalm 97. That's why we did this. Did you hear what the daughters of Judah do? Listen, listen to this again. It says, the daughters of Judah have rejoiced. Remember, our our title this morning is Righteous Rejoicing. The daughters of Judah have rejoiced. Why? Because of your judgments, O Lord. (laughs) They they have that, that dimension. That's not all they rejoice about. But that is always one element, one dimension of where righteous rejoicing must go. Now, here is the teaching of Psalm 97. Here's the way it begins and almost what it is. It says, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. It goes through all this other stuff and towards the end it says, hate evil, those of you who love good. That's the teaching of Psalm 97. Uh, There's positive. The Lord reigns. And there's negative. You need to hate evil. You need not just to identify it, not be able to say what it is, but you need to hate it. You need to say no, no, no to that. Because he reigns. And evil, 
like idolatry, is anything that rises up to oppose what God has said, what God has decreed. Now, with that as our background, let's turn to Matthew 22, uh, our gospel text. I know you're wondering when we're going to get to Revelation 19. I think it'll be about 11.15, the, the, the course we're on now. We'll see if we actually get there or not. <laughs> okay, Matt, you know, Matthew 22, the first 14 verses, uh, we need to see that in its context. I mentioned before I read it that this is spoken during Passion Week, during Holy Week when Jesus is there. And it's, it's placed where it is in the Gospels because there's things that go before it and there's things that come after it, but it's sort of a pivotal uh, parable, if you would. Now, you know, Passion Week was the culmination of three years of ministry. Jesus had been going in and out among the people uh, to the north in Galilee, down into Judea, uh, up to uh, the Syrophoenician woman and all, all kind of places, but he, he was going all around. Uh, everyone, high and low, from King Herod down to the, the blind man outside Jericho, everyone had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. This last week of his life on earth is crucial in terms of how we need to relate, how people, we, but people as a whole, need to relate to and understand him. And so this parable of the wedding feast is crucial and pivotal to us. Now, here are the things that happened prior to the telling of this parable. First thing that happens is that, we'll get that up here directly, is that uh, the fig tree that's barren is cursed. Now, the fig tree, not the olive tree, the fig tree is the national symbol of Israel. And Israel, Jesus went to the fig tree looking for, for fruit, there was none. He cursed it, they came back, and it was, it was gone. Okay? Immediately after that, the, this is true in all the Gospels, by the way. Uh, after that, Jesus' authority is questioned. Well, by what authority do you do these things? What, by what authority do you say these things? And Jesus says, I'll tell you if you answer one question. Uh, John the Baptist, when he preached, by what authority did he preach? Was his authority from God or was it from man? And they would not answer. They didn't want to say it was from God because John the Baptist had testified, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. They didn't want to do that, but they knew if he said that John was from man, that they'd be stoned. So they said, we don't know. Because they wouldn't make a determination on John the Baptist's testimony, he said, well, I won't answer you either. And then he tells the parable. Now, when our kids were growing up, there was a great arch book about this. Uh, two little boys named Andrew and Daniel were their names. They were nothing alike, did nothing the same. And, it goes, and it's a wonderful thing. These two boys, their father comes to them and says, you know, there, there's a storm coming, and uh, I want you to come and help work in a vineyard today to gather the grapes here. The one boy says, yes, I'll do that. The other boy says, no, I'm not going to do that. We're going to have a good time. But it turns out that they each did the opposite of what they said. Jesus tells that parable, says, you know, they're, they're ones who say they're going to do this, but then they don't. And there are those who say, well, no, I'm not going to do that, but, but then they do. 
Interesting parable. Huh. Then, after that comes, uh, Jesus tells the parable about the landowner and his tenants. Uh, He went to collect his fruit, and they wouldn't give him his fruit. They sent his servants back. They beat him. He sent more. Finally, he sent his son, and they killed him. He tells that parable. Well, what does that mean? And then Jesus does, has a teaching moment. He talks to him out of Psalm 118 about the cornerstone. He says, now listen here. This cornerstone, you know, if it falls on you, it'll crush you. It'll just make you dust. But if you fall on it, you'll be broken, but it'll be right and good. That's what he's saying. So watch out for this cornerstone. Now here's the key thing. When all these things that Jesus did, just before we have our text from today in Matthew 22, here's what it says. When they heard, that is when all these uh, people of leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, lawyers, people high and low, when they heard his parables, they understood he was speaking about them. Do you understand? That is, that generation to whom Jesus came, among whom he he, he went and spoke, among whom he ministered, when he told these parables, they understood he was speaking about them. It's important. Then there's going to come this parable of the wedding feast, but let's find out what happens after he tells this parable. Then we'll come back and look at the parable itself a little bit. After this, no more parables to speak of, but instead, uh, they, different elements of society, try to trick Jesus. So the first one who tries to trick him are the Pharisees, who along with the Herodians, try to trick him with a question about taxes. Should they pay the tax or not? And Jesus answers them with a coin. The famous thing, give to Caesar what's Caesar, give to God what's God's, right? So they they try to trip him up. They're looking for an occasion by which they may punish him. After that, the Sadducees, a different sect entirely, come to him, and they try to trick him. They they tell him the, the story of this woman who was the wife of seven different brothers. They all died. Well, because the Sadducees don't believe in any kind of resurrection after you're, you're, you're dead, they say, well, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Ha, 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 ha. We got you. There's no resurrection. Ha, ha, ha. Jesus says, well, you don't understand anything. You don't, you don't understand the Scriptures, and you don't understand the power of God. In the resurrection, there is no marriage. <laughs> and he, he, he thwarts them that way. And then there's a good question. So you have two bad questions, people trying to trick him, but then there's a good and honest question. Teacher, tell me, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers them. It's Matthew 22, 37 through 39. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. Now I'll tell you, there's a second that's like unto it, but it's the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it's a good question. And he answers it faithfully. And then 
Jesus turns the table and he asks them a question. He says, may I ask you a question about Psalm 110? Uh, when it says, the Lord said to my Lord, who's, who's all these lords? And they didn't know. Well, he, he's referring to himself. <clears throat> Jesus is thinking about this, that he's the one who's the Lord. And then after he asks that question, here's what it says <clears throat> in uh, Matthew twenty-two forty-six. 46. It says, no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. So there comes a point in time when they say, we, we can't do it. No one dares ask him another question after that. Forgot to turn my sheet over. I'll lose my notes. I'll lose my place. Just go on and on and on. This keeps me on track, you know. <clears throat> We're way down here. about a third of the way down already. Uh, now, I mentioned that this parable, this wedding feast parable, is pivotal. Uh, what ought we to know and take from it? <clears throat> Several things. First of all, there are repeated entreaties given to the invited guests. The king sends his servants, his slaves, to call them several times. And they resist it. They say no. And eventually they mistreat them and, and, and kill them and do bad things eventually. So we need to note that. It's not like this king is being unreasonable. He's called and invited. Called and invited. They say no, 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 no. I think a pivotal verse for us as we're working through Revelation, is verse 7 of Matthew 22. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Remember Isaiah 10, we did this maybe a month or two ago, how it says the Assyrians were the, the, the arm of the Lord, the sword that he picked up. Uh, so this king sends his armies. And I think, again, they knew that these things were being spoken about them. It says they burned their city. This is a foreshadowing of A.D. 70, when Jerusalem is all gone, and it's burned, gone, it's destroyed, it's raised down. He says, here, this is, this is what's lying ahead of you. We should note that. And then we should note that there were others invited after that. <clears throat> Hello, you Gentiles. <laughs> we weren't originally invited. We weren't part of that. But go invite the others. Bring them in. Good and evil. Let them come on in. Invite them. And since <laughs> the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, since Pentecost Day, <clears throat> the message has been going out to all the world. And guess what? The banquet hall gets filled. Is what the parable says. The banquet hall gets completely filled. <clears throat> but then <clears throat> there's added this other strange codicil at the end. The king comes in, looks around at the crowd. Well, there's a fellow back there who's not dressed correctly. He doesn't have on the marriage cloak or garment. The king notes it. Now, you know that 
wedding garments were provided. All you had to do was accept them, put them on. Sort of like if you're out there directing traffic, they give you a uh, thing to put on to show that you're the one who's there, should be there to warn traffic. Some kind of wedding garment was given to everyone who came to the wedding feast. This fellow said, no, I don't need that. My own clothing is quite sufficient. Thank you. Then the king comes in. He notices that. <clears throat> he calls and says, fella, how come you're dressed the way you are? This is a Psalm 97 moment. The lightning set up the world. And all of a sudden, all those things he had in his mind about why he didn't need a wedding garment are just gone. He stumbles. He he cannot answer. He doesn't say a word. He knows. He has refused the wedding garment. And then the parable ends. Jesus ends it this way. says, the king told to grab that man, bind him up hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. That's a judgment. Says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. From AD 33 to AD 70, the gospel is proclaimed all throughout Jerusalem and Israel. Thousands and tens of thousands believe, but there is increasing resistance and hostility on the part of leadership and eventually on the part of the bulk of the people. They resist, they reject, and they become hostile. Toward the end of that time, sometime around A.D. 65 or 66, the book of Revelation comes to us. Well, it comes to the people there, those seven churches. And proclaims that Matthew 22, 7 is about to happen. What Jesus taught in that parable, which they knew he taught about them, that generation, that is about to take place. I believe that's what Revelation is about. Okay, let's turn to Revelation 19. Look at that. We're, we're 20 minutes ahead of time. So we have plenty of time. <clears throat> I didn't know until I was preaching through this that this is the only place in the entire New Testament where the word hallelujah is found. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No place else in, in all of the New Testament is hallelujah found except here in these first four verses, first six verses of Matthew, no, 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 of Revelation 19. Hallelujah means praise, hallel, praise, Yahweh, just praise God. You say praise God, that's what hallelujah means. Now what has happened that this praise should be going out? Remember that, what's the title of our sermon today? Righteous rejoicing, right? Correct. Here's what's happened. In chapter 16, verse 17, the final bowl of God's judgment and God's wrath is poured out. In chapter 16, 17, it says, it is done. 
Then in chapter 17, we have some explanations of what all these different figures stood for. We walked through that a couple of weeks ago. Then chapter 18 shows what that judgment actually looked like and the reactions to it. On earth, as it were, the reactions to it. Now here, in Revelation 19, we see the reaction in heaven. And there is righteous rejoicing because of the judgments of God. Therefore, hallelujah, praise be to God. The first hallelujah is salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That is to say, He's sovereign. How do we know He's sovereign? Because His judgments are true and righteous. They're just and righteous, if you want to put it that way. Back to Psalm 97. How can you say that? Because He's judged the harlot. And that harlot was corrupting all the land. That whole people was corrupted by her. She deserves this. Hallelujah. Now, that great multitude are all the hosts of heaven, all the angelic hosts. They're praising God. Also because God has avenged the blood of his saints. That's what it says. I mean, you say, well, that's awfully harsh, John. Well, hello. It's John, uh, Revelation 19, verse 2. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. How can you say anything else? If you don't say that, you're taken away from what's there. Hallelujah, it says. And then there's a second hallelujah. Same group, the same multitudes, the angelic hosts. A second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. What in the world is that? That says the ongoing justice and righteousness of God will not end. It's always there. It's true. Takes care of that. And then we have the third hallelujah. This is one that has the 12 elders, the four living creatures, and the angelic hosts. And what do the 12 elders and the four living creatures say? They say, amen. What you're doing and what you're saying is exactly right. Amen. Hallelujah. We praise God too. Now we understood from where, this is months ago now, the 12 elders, we understand, comprise the entirety of the church. The four living creatures are the the authorities, the spiritual authorities that God has there, high archangels. They all say, yes, amen, hallelujah. What they've said is true. What they're doing is right. Can we confirm and affirm all this? Confirm it and affirm it? It's a hard thing. It's a big question. Can we affirm that God's judgments... All this stuff that we've just read about throughout the book of, of Revelation is, is right and true, just and as it should be. It's hard. I'd like for us to consider the ending of the book of Isaiah. Here's the next to last verse of Isaiah. Here's what it says. <clears throat> 
For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from, na- from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, that all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. So he, he, he goes from the new heaven, he goes to a new heavens and a new earth. This says, it's going to be there forever. They're going to praise me. They're going to bow down to me. It's all going to happen that way. But then here's the last verse. Then all these who've come and are worshiping before God, then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Man, would you have ended the book of Isaiah like that? I wouldn't have, but God did. His judgments are righteous and true altogether. What can we say about them? We say, Amen. Hallelujah. <coughs> Excuse me. We confirm them and we affirm them. <clears throat> now we need some help. We do a, <clears throat> usually once a month, I try to have us use the uh, confession of sin that we've adopted from Martin Luther. In it, it has this phrase, <clears throat> this clause. It says, grant forgiveness also to those who have harmed or wronged us as we forgive them from our hearts. They inflict the greatest injury upon themselves by arousing your anger in their actions toward us. We are not helped by their ruin. We would much rather that they be saved with us. I, I, again, think Luther there hit a, a very true note. We should say that from our hearts. We can. But I think we should, can say that from our hearts and still say amen to the last two verses of Isaiah's book and of Revelation 19 and all the other things that we read. We're, we're not desirous. We would much rather that they be saved with us. If that's not true, well, then there's something wrong with us. We, we should do that. But that doesn't mean that we're going to accuse God, reject God, when he brings judgment on those who have rejected and said no to him all along. We won't do that. Now, there's a fellow who wrote a good response to this. I'd like to have uh, Michael put that up on the screen if he could. He says this, it is certainly unworthy to hope that the enemies of the gospel will never repent and be saved. So we're not going to do that. I think he's right. But it is not unworthy to be grateful that there is justice for them if they persist in their enmity. We should be thankful that God is just and true. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. And righteous rejoicing will always have that element, that character in it. We don't hope anyone at enmity from the gospel We'll never repent. We hope they will repent. We pray to that end. We work to that end. Now, we still have the fourth hallelujah. This fourth hallelujah, I believe, represents 
a major hinge in the book in perspective. Because they've, they've talked about the, the judgment, they've talked about, that is, he's talked about judgment, talked about explaining how that all happened, who the characters were, explain <clears throat> reactions on earth, <clears throat> reactions in heaven. And now, once that judgment has fallen, what then? So I think from this point on, while it's still, a, it's all right to think about that in terms of the first century, the perspective is longer viewed, directly viewed from AD 70 and beyond. What happens? Now, <clears throat> here's the fourth hallelujah. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Do you recognize that hallelujah? Do you recognize that? I hope you recognize that. You hear it at specific moments if you're a member of this church, if you're awake, if you're sentient, <laughs> if you're paying attention. When do you hear it? You hear it at the conclusion of each communion service we do. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. <clears throat> communion, the Lord's Supper, is the representation of the invitation for us to come and be part of the King's wedding feast. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're saying, yes, yes, I accept the invitation. I'm not too busy. I don't have other things going on. I'm not distracted. Yes, I say yes to that. I come to Christ. I trust in Him. We know that this is just a horse doover. I have a brother-in-law says it's horse doover. An hors d'oeuvre. How's that? It's an hors d'oeuvre. The final feast is yet to come. That's when Christ returns. But these hors d'oeuvres are great. We need to participate in them and say, yes, indeed. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice, be glad, and give the glory to Him forever and ever. Isn't that good? That's how we end each communion service, because we realize that we're reaching out into eternity when we share the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> now, we don't have time, or it really will be 11.15, <clears throat> but it says... The bride, that's the church, that's the, God's people down through the ages from the Garden of, well, not from the Garden of Eden, it got tossed out of there, but from, 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 from Genesis through Revelation, all the people of God, or the bride of Christ, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. <clears throat> that has caused some distress to some people that it says that. But uh, it's what it says. So how should we understand it? First of all, it says the fine linen is given to her. Think of the wedding feast again, the parable. Everyone's given wedding garments to put on. Everyone's given those. You, you didn't earn them, you, you, you just given to you. Put them on. There was one fellow who said, no, I won't put them on. I'll just wear my own stuff. Don't be like that. The, the, the wedding garments are that he gives to us is being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 
That's what we're going through. But there's more than that as well. Remember, we memorized this, Ephesians 2.10. What does it say? I can't remember off the top of my head. Someone help me. Come on. Oh, that's right. I remember now. Thank you. What's wrong with all the rest of you people? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's that's the same thing as that fine linen in Revelation 19. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's where you receive Christ as your Savior. You have the wedding garment on. So for, for good works, which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> he gives them. We receive them. Let's wear them. And part of that wearing, part of what goes on, is that we worship him with righteous rejoicing. It's the testimony of Jesus that says, we worship God. We have nothing up alongside him or over top of him. We worship God. That's our desire. Now, we are all fallen. We have our issues with that. But he'll correct us. He's faithful. He's good. He understands that we're but dust. He'll lead us along the, the right and good way. May we, by God's mercy and by God's grace, righteously rejoice in his goodness, in his judgments, in his righteousness. Amen.